You're listening to the Hui Kala Baptist Church Podcast coming to you from the heart of Honolulu. Hui Kala is a committed family of faith that loves Jesus and loves one another. Grab your Bible and prepare for preaching from the Word of God from Pastor Anthony King. Second Corinthians chapter number 11 is uh, where we're at here tonight. Uh, this is message number 40, I believe, in our series uh, uh, as we have gone through uh, verse by verse the book of 2 Corinthians. Uh, it's hard to believe uh, next week we'll finish up uh, 2 Corinthians chapter number 11. That really only is two chapters left uh, in this book. And so we'll be wrapping this up in the next couple of months. We've been going through this uh, almost uh, a little over a year now. Uh, they've been taking a look at 2 Corinthians. Uh, before that, it was 1 Corinthians verse by verse. And so you can always get caught up at our website. There is, uh, at this point, almost five years of archived messages for you to listen to. Uh, and so if you're really bored, uh, you can go through those, I guess, if you wanted to. Uh, but uh, I, I'm thankful for that. Uh, we had a, a lady visit this morning uh, who said, you know, she said, I, I saw your church, I saw it online, uh, but I wanted to listen to a lot of the preaching first before I came. And she said, and I, I heard that every message was from the Bible, and that this was a Bible teaching church, and that's why I wanted to be here. I, I said, praise God for that. Uh, and so um, I'm thankful that we are able to, to not share with people, you know, 10 tips for a better life or five ways to have a healthy marriage or anything like that. We're able to share with people the truth of God's word. And so uh, I, I, I love taking the Bible and telling people uh, how it can change their lives. And so that's what we're going to do tonight. Second uh, Corinthians chapter number 11. Uh, just to give you a little bit of a background here, Paul uh, had started the church at Corinth. He was the original uh, founding pastor of it. He, he started that with a couple of other folks that he met at work, believe it or not. Uh, crazy story you can read in the book of Acts. I think it's uh, chapter number 17. Uh, Paul uh, met Priscilla and Aquila, uh, and, and they were a couple of co-workers of Paul. They got together, and they started a church, and it exploded, uh, and God did an amazing work. Paul uh, pastored the church there for about 18 months, and after that, he moved on uh, to other missionary endeavors uh, and got word that there were problems in the church, and so he wrote several letters back to the church and uh, tried to correct some of these issues. Um, the, the last visit that Paul had to Corinth, there were some false teachers in the church and a lot of drama that was taking place, uh, people that were assassinating uh, Paul's character and putting him down. And, and Paul, uh, in chapter number 11, really is in defense of his own character in this case here, saying, hey, uh, I, I'm not doing anything shady. I didn't do anything uh, that was uh, could have been considered uh, any, any way to detract from the gospel, I poured out my life for you, uh, as opposed to what some other folks have done. And we find ourselves in a Second Corinthians chapter number 11. We're going to start in verse number uh, 7 uh, in this case here. First Corinthians, I'm sorry, Second Corinthians chapter number 11, verse number 7. Have I committed an offense in abasing myself that ye might be exalted because I've preached to you the gospel of God freely? I robbed other churches, taking wages of them to do you service. And when I was present with you and wanted, I was chargeable to no man for that which was lacking to me, the brethren which came from Macedonia supplied. Uh, pause here for just a second. Paul says, uh, if anybody wants to say I tried to take something from you or I was only in it for the money or something like that, Paul says, I never took a dime from you guys. I never asked for anything from you. I actually humbled myself so that you could be built up. I actually took myself down a notch so that you could be uh, grown in your faith. He said, I didn't take anything from you. He says, I actually took from other churches. Other churches paid my salary so that I could minister to you. I didn't take anything from you at all. He says, the churches at Macedonia even supplied my needs. Other churches came and helped me out uh, because I didn't want anyone to say that I, that I was in it for the money or I was trying to take anything from you. Uh, verse number nine, when I was present with you and wanted, I was chargeable to no man uh, for that which was lacking 
To me, the brethren which came from Macedonia supplied, and in all things I've kept myself from being burdensome unto you, and so I will keep myself. Hey, I've tried not to put a burden on you guys in any way, and I'm gonna continue to do that as well. Verse number 10. As the truth of Christ is in me, no man shall stop me of this boasting in the regions of Achaia. Wherefore, why? Because I love you not, God knoweth, but what I do, that will I do, which I may cut off occasion from them, which desire occasion, wherein they glory, they may be found even as we. For such are false apostles, deceitful workers, transforming themselves into apostles of Christ, and no marvel, for Satan himself is transformed into an angel of light. Therefore, it's no great thing that uh, therefore it's no great thing if his ministers also be transformed as ministers of righteousness whose end shall be according to their works. Paul says in this case here that uh, he really draws a contrast between spiritual leadership and carnal leadership. Spiritual leadership desires to uh, be filled with the Spirit, to be controlled by the Holy Spirit, to do things in accordance with what God wants. Carnal leadership, on the other hand, is what can I get from another person? What can I get for myself? What satisfies me and my needs? How can I accomplish what I want to accomplish? And Paul really draws a contrast here between uh, the spiritual leadership of himself and those that were with him and the carnal leadership of these false so-called apostles as well. Take a look at verse number uh, seven. He says, having committed an offense in abasing, have I committed an offense in abasing myself that ye might be exalted because I preached unto you the gospel of God freely? See, first of all, spiritual leaders walk in humility. Paul wasn't desiring to make a name of himself. He wasn't uh, desiring to be known as the best guy around. He wasn't uh, trying to make uh, his name as a super apostle or anything along those lines. He was really just trying to make Jesus' name great. He wasn't concerned for what he could get out of these people. He was concerned for what he could give to these people. Some mocked Paul because he didn't charge for speaking. It was a, a big thing in that day if you were a well-known orator to charge for uh, going to a place and speaking. Uh, that's even a thing in our society today that many times uh, so-called Christian speakers will come and they'll charge a speaking fee sometimes of fifty, sixty, seventy thousand dollars uh, for one hour to encourage people in a biblical thought. I don't believe that that's biblical at all. Uh, but Paul says in here, hey, I didn't take anything from you, and that doesn't make me less of a, of a man of God for doing so. He says, in all actuality, it wasn't about me. It was always about Jesus. It's been said before that uh, a nice little acrostic for the way that spiritual leaders thinks is Jesus first, others second, and yourself last. It brings about joy, uh, that acrostic joy, Jesus, others, and then you. That couldn't be uh, more true in this case here. As spiritual leaders, we must think of Jesus first and others second. Paul wasn't concerned for how much money he was gonna get. Paul wasn't concerned with where he was gonna lay his head. Uh, we'll see uh, next week, Paul went through a lot of great difficulty to bring the message of the gospel to people. Again and again, he faced uh, difficulty, trials, temptations, difficulties uh, that, that you and I can't even imagine that Paul went through to take people the gospel. But he wasn't concerned with his own well-being. He wasn't concerned for what he could get out of it. He was greatly concerned that these people would love Jesus and walk with Jesus. If you were to read the letters that Paul wrote to the churches again and again and again, he challenges them to walk in, in maturity and to know Jesus and be firmly rooted in their faith and to grow in him again and again and again. And that was his heartbeat in this case here. He wasn't concerned for what he could get out of it. Secondly, spiritual leaders are committed to truth. That's a capital T, truth. 
because the truth is found in Christ. Verse number 10, as the truth of Christ is in me, no man shall stop me from this boasting in the regions of Achaia. Paul says, the truth is in me and nobody's gonna stop me from teaching and preaching the truth everywhere that I go. We live in a today where truth seems to be changing, but we find that absolute truth never changes. A little bit of a teaching moment here tonight that when we talk of truth, absolute truth is a truth that never changes. The sun rises, the sun sets every single day. That's a truth that is absolute that does not change. Uh, truth that might change, Domino's is the best pizza in the world. That is a truth that may or may not change. And you might look at that and you go, wow, that's true for you, not necessarily true for me. Uh, that would be what we would consider a relative truth. It changes based on how you feel about that statement. Uh, Tacos is one of the greatest inventions that God ever created. Uh, that's a pretty true statement, I would say. Uh, but again, how you view tacos or maybe the tacos you've had in the past might determine whether or not you look at that statement as a true or a false statement. In that case, we would say that things like, uh, you know, uh, Hawaii is the best place in the world to live. I think it's pretty absolute uh, there, but it would be a relative statement. Absolute truth never changes. That absolute truth is found in God's word. It doesn't matter what you think about it. It doesn't matter whether you disagree with it. Truth is truth regardless of what you feel about it. Jesus Christ is the son of God. Jesus Christ is the savior of mankind. There's no way to heaven other than Jesus Christ himself. That is fact whether you believe it to be so or not. It is true whether you disagree with that statement or not. It is true. We live in a society today where absolute truth is almost seen as a, a dangerous thing. It's a scary thing. Well, that might be true for you, but I've got a belief system that's true for me. That's not absolute truth. That's what we call relative truth. It might be right for you and that's okay. And we live in a society today that says, it's okay for you to believe whatever you believe. We live in a society today where teachers feel uh, bad about using red pens because they don't want their kids to think that they've gotten something wrong. Uh, we live in a society today where kids can play sports, but we don't keep score because everybody's a winner. We have sports leagues where there are no first, second, and third place. Everybody's a winner and everybody gets a blue ribbon. We live in a society today where whatever you believe is okay, you don't need the facts to back it up. If I decide that today that I want to uh, be a female, you can't tell me that I'm not a female because you would be a hateful uh, bigot to say something like that. And I say what I am, and you just have to agree with that. But there comes the point where what is true is true whether or not you believe, I believe it or not. What's true is true whether you and I feel differently about it or not. And Paul was committed to the truth, and the truth is unchanging. But relative truth changes as we see fit. Relative truth changes as we get more uh, information about a situation. Relative truth will change uh, based on our feelings. We cannot base our view of truth on relative truth because the, the facts are always changing. Emotions are always changing. I don't know about you guys, but when the sun's shining here in Hawaii, I want to get outside. Man, I, I, you walk outside and you feel the, the sun on your skin. I want to roll down all the windows. I want to crank up some good music and hang my arm out the window and wave to everybody as they go past. I want to just like be in the sun and be outside. I don't mind sitting in traffic when the sun's shining. I got nowhere to go and I just get a sweet, sweet suntan, farmer's tan on one arm hanging out the window, right? Right? It's just like, yeah, it is good to be alive. But 
all it takes is a little bit of cloud cover to come over the cold lows and a little bit of drizzle here. And I want to go home, make a cup of coffee, sit on the couch and watch Netflix for the rest of the night, right? All it takes is just a, a small change in the weather. And now what I felt to be true five minutes ago is now no longer true anymore. That's why we cannot follow our feelings. There must be something that is true for everyone at all times. Uh, we took a look at our, in our Sharing Jesus class this morning. Uh, we were talking about sharing our, our faith with other people. And one of the things was, uh, do you, the, the questions that we asked was, do good people really go to hell? And then the question became, who determines who's good and who's bad? If, if only good people go to heaven and only bad people go to hell, then who determines who's good and who's bad? What is the criteria that we use for that? And again, based on who you asked, it would be different. But if our source of truth is the Bible, God's already determined who goes to heaven and who goes to hell. And it doesn't really matter what you and I think about it. God says that every single person is born apart from him in rebellion to him. Every single person is born with the default destination in their life, eternal death and hell because of our sin. I've sinned against God. You've sinned against God. The consequences of that is an eternal death and hell. Revelation chapter 20 tells us that. But God loves you. God loves me so much that he sent his son Jesus to die on the cross for our sins so that we don't have to go to hell, so we don't have to be separated from God. Jesus paid a way for us to be saved from our sin and saved to a new life. But you have to make a decision to put your faith and trust in Jesus. Those are the facts. Some people reject the facts. Some people don't want to believe those facts. But the facts are the facts, and Paul was committed to the truth. You and I, as Bible-believing Christians, must be committed to the truth. Know this. The truth will sometimes go against how you feel. And that's okay. If you read the Bible and seek to follow it long enough in your life, you're gonna find areas where the Bible goes against what you want to do. And that's okay. There's gonna be times where in following Jesus, the Bible asks you to make changes in your life that you need to make that you don't wanna make, and that's okay as long as we just understand that the Bible is always true. And at what point I disagree with the Bible, I need to know that I'm always wrong. Let me just say that for you. At what point you disagree with the Bible, you're always, 100% of the time, wrong. And again, not a popular thing to say in society today. I should be able to say, if you feel like that's right for you, then that's right for you. I can't say that because the Bible is always true. And you and I must be committed to truth even when... We don't like it. Spiritual leaders are committed to truth. Thirdly, spiritual leaders lead by love. Paul says, wherefore, or why? Because I love you not, God knoweth. One of the charges have been made against Paul. Paul doesn't care about you. Paul just wants to come and tell you what to do with your life. Paul's trying to get some money to, 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 to get over on you guys. Paul just wants something from you. He doesn't care about you. And Paul says, Really? Really? Like, this is the fourth letter that we know of that Paul's written. Paul's made at least one visit in person that we know of and written four letters. And he's saying, really? You don't think that I love you? And Paul is leading by love. Paul could have put them in their place. Paul could have been very angry. Here's what I would have done. Honestly, I don't know that I would have the, the patience that Paul had. 
Say, for example, uh, we started Who We Call a Baptist Church and our family left and you guys wrote me a letter saying, hey, we're going through a rough spot. I write you a letter back and say, hey, get your act together. And you don't. I don't know that I would write you four letters. I don't. At some point I'd say, you guys just gotta grow up. I'm done with you. I'm moving on to the next thing, right? Why did Paul stick it out? Why was Paul committed to helping them along? Because he loved them. And one of the things that I've tried in my own life, it's very difficult because I'm an introvert by nature to make connections with people, is I try to love every single person the way that Jesus would love them. And that's hard for somebody like me. It doesn't come naturally. But I want to do that. I don't want there to ever be a question, my motives behind something that I do. If I have to call you out on a sin or tell you that you're wrong in some area or say something that would be uh, something that you don't want to hear, I want it to come from a place of love that you can say, I don't really, uh, what pastor said didn't feel good, but I know his heart behind it. And it was a hard thing to hear, but I know the pastor's looking out for my best interest. That's what Paul says, I'm sharing these things with you because I love you. And you and I, when we lead people, we can't lead people out of a desire to boss people around or tell people what to do. We have to do it because of our love for others. And our model for this is Jesus. Jesus did this perfectly to a T. If you and I could just live like Jesus, we would be golden. But it's hard to be like Jesus. It's hard to be patient with people. It's hard to be loving with people that don't love you back. It's hard, I can imagine in Paul's situation where people are spreading lies about you, spreading rumors and gossip about you, hating your guts, but yet choosing to love them anyways. Our model for that is Christ himself. So spiritual leaders walk in humility. They're committed to the truth. They lead by love. What is the flip side of this? Carnal leaders will lead by pride. Take a look at verse number 12. What I do, that will I do, that I might cut off occasion from them which desire occasion, that wherein they glory, they might be found even as we. They want a name for themselves. They want to be known as, uh, previously in this passage, he called them uh, what would be the equivalent of super apostles. They thought that they were like the next level above Paul. Like you thought Paul was something you've never seen us. We're the super apostles. And Paul says, Really? And he goes on a little bit later to say, hey, if we want to compare here, I'm willing to compare, but I don't think that's really necessary. They wanted to make a name for themselves. They were driven by pride. When driven by pride, leaders become opportunistic. When pride drives me, the people that I lead are just a means to an end. When pride drives you, a person that's in your life that you're supposed to love and guide along just becomes something to meet your needs that you have. Husbands, in your home, it's your responsibility to lead your wives well through love. And your spouse is not something that you can get something from to meet your needs. They're a person that you get to love and invest in to see them meet their greatest uh, potential for Jesus Christ. It's hard sometimes. But carnal leaders just see people as a means to an end. This is just somebody that I can get something from. This is somebody that, I, that can meet a need that I have as opposed to looking at how I can serve that person. And when, it, when we're driven by pride, we'll see people as objects, not as people. Uh, I'll, I'll, be, I'll be honest, sometimes I, I get so overwhelmed in my own pride that I forget that people are people. I forget that that guy that's uh, at, at the mall that looks way different than anything that I would do or that mom that's yelling at her kids uh, in, the, in the grocery store, I forget that those are people that Jesus died for. Uh, I'll... Uh, 
I was greatly grieved and I was this close to actually having a conversation with the guy. Uh, Angela, I had stopped at a, a McDonald's uh, to, to pick up something for the kids. Kids had to go uh, to something at school. We had to gr- run through the drive-thru and pick up something. The drive-thru long was ridiculously long. Uh, and so we thought, we'll just go inside. And so we go inside. I had to go to the bathroom. I come out of the bathroom. And there's a guy sitting at this table. Uh, it looks like what would be a single dad, probably in his mid-30s. Uh, and he's got two little kids there and they're doing homework at McDonald's. And I thought, that's the sweetest thing ever. Like he got them a happy meal, sitting down and doing homework with them and stuff like that. He's probably single dad. He didn't have a wedding band on. He's got in his 30s, you know, helping this little girl with her math and stuff like that. And I thought, that is so sweet. And then I began to hear the things he would say to her. Are you blankety-blank stupid? You're stupid. I know you are. You can't even figure this out. You're so dumb. You're just like your mom. And I was just like, oh, no, 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 he didn't. No, he didn't. No, he didn't. And I'm sitting there, and I'm like biting my tongue because it's everything that I have in me not to just go and say, hey, dude, can I talk to you outside for a minute? Really? And this girl just began weeping. Shut up. Dry up those tears. Shut up. And I was just like, the longer that it went on, the more I just wanted to throw up. And I thought to myself, what can I, what do I do? What can I do? And the answer is I just prayed. And I felt terrible because here's a little girl who has a man in her life that's supposed to love her and lead her, but he's frustrated by her because she's something that's in his way. She's, whatever it is that, that's going on there is keeping him from doing what he really wants to do. And I see that as a way that many times I can get frustrated with, with problems that come up, but people aren't problems. People are gifts from God. Children that we have are not problems that are keeping us from, from what we have going on. They're opportunities for us to shape a generation of people that will grow up to love Jesus. My coworkers or my people in my office or the neighbor down the street is not a problem that I have. There's someone that I get to show Jesus their love, my, the love of Jesus. But when I see them as an obstacle in the path of what I want to get, now I'm driven by pride. And we must, must lead in humility. We must lead by love. Next carnal leaders deceive and manipulate the truth. Particularly at verse number 13, he says, for such are false apostles, deceitful workers, transforming themselves into the apostles of Christ. These guys were fakes. These guys were phonies. They were put on. They called themselves servants of Jesus, but they weren't really. <sighs> Let me just say this. Everybody who calls themselves a teacher of Jesus Christ is not a real teacher. We talked about this a little bit last week. We can kind of broach the subject here. But he says, they call themselves apostles, but they're not apostles. They call themselves ministers of Christ, but they're not ministers of Christ. Transforming themselves into the apostles of Christ. And verse number 14 is really heavy here. And no marvel, for Satan himself is transformed into an angel of light. Therefore, it's no great thing that his ministers also be transformed as the ministers of righteousness, whose end shall be according to their works. Know this, when anybody takes the truth of the Bible and manipulates it to say what they want it to say, they're satanic at the root. I know that sounds really heavy to say, but deception and manipulation of the truth are satanic in origin. You go all the way back to the Garden of Eden, what happened? The the serpent came to, to Eve and she said, we can't eat from that tree. And he said, why? And she said, because of the day that we eat of the tree, we'll die. And what did Satan say? Won't die? God's just holding out on you. Did he, really, did he even really say that? He said, hath God said? Did God even really say that? 
And anyone who would twist and manipulate the scripture to get what they want out of it is the same tricks that Satan used when he deceived Eve and caused the fall of mankind. It's satanic in origin. And the Bible goes on to say that Satan is the father of all lies. That when he speaks lies, he speaks in his native tongue. And you might have heard uh, sometimes somebody say, well, that's a lie from the pit of hell. The devil's not really in hell yet. He will be one day. But you can say that that's a lie of the devil right there because all lies are satanic in origin. And any teacher who would take the focus off of Jesus Christ and the word of God and place it upon themselves or place it upon a religious system is satanic in origin. It's a, it's a, heavy, a heavy thing to say, but it's true. Let me just say this. If you can take your eyes off of the cross and the finished work of what Jesus Christ has done on the cross, if I can take the focus off of Jesus and how he's forgiven my sins and set me free from every wrong thing that I've ever done in my entire life and will ever do for the rest of my life, if we can take the focus off of that and put it on a religious system, let's just say the church, and now you get to heaven based on your church attendance or your church membership or the fact that maybe you've been baptized or uh, maybe you go and confess your sins to a priest or maybe you can go to heaven because you give money to the church. Maybe you can go to heaven because you pray for a really long time and we take the focus off of Jesus and we put it onto all these things that maybe we could do to maybe make it to heaven. Let me just tell you this, that's not of God. It is 100% satanic in origin. And let me just say, any religious system that takes the focus off of Jesus and his finished work on the cross and puts the focus on you and how you can be healthy, wealthy, and wise by giving X amount of dollars. And I started tithing and I bought a brand new house out on the beach. I started tithing. I bought myself a brand spanking new Harley and bought one for my wife. And we go motorcycle riding on the weekend. And you can too if you just give today. Let me just tell you, when we take the focus off of Jesus and put it on materialism, it's not of God, it's of Satan. And you said, but that guy calls himself a pastor. He says, they call themselves apostles. It doesn't make it so. And if the devil can be an angel, then the devil can take his followers, his ministers, and make them appear as Christ's followers too. Don't be surprised by that. I said last week, probably 98% of the stuff that you see on so-called Christian television is satanic in origin. Every now and then we flipped on the radio and turned to some station and heard some preaching that was actually biblically sound. I said, every now and then. Because most of the time it's generally not. How do we determine what's right, what's wrong? How do we determine truth from error? We become a student of this book right here. If what you say lines up with this book, 100%, you are a true teacher sent from God. Now, before the Bible was finished, before we had a, a, a Bible that we could flip open and figure out whether this stuff was so or not, God gave the apostles signs, miracles, and wonders to validate the message. How did you know Paul was speaking the truth? Because he would do a miracle and say, this message came from God, and he'd do a miracle, and everybody go, oh, wow, yeah, obviously we see that God's hand is upon him. Someone maybe would speak in a known language. When uh, the Bible speaks of speaking in tongues, it was always a known language. For example, tonight I'm going to get up and I'm going to speak the, uh, uh, the message tonight in Chinese. Most of you don't know Chinese, but maybe we have some guests that do know Chinese. I'm going to preach the gospel tonight in Chinese. You say, how long have you been practicing? I haven't. The Holy Spirit's given me the power tonight to speak the message. 
from the Word of God in Chinese for those Chinese hearers tonight. Most of you are sitting there and go, I don't really know Chinese. Great, uh, because we got Manuel over here. Manuel's been filled with the Holy Spirit. He's gonna translate in Ch- from Chinese into English. He said, does he know Chinese? He doesn't know a lick of Chinese but he got the gift of interpretation tonight from the Holy Spirit so that we can do the work of the gospel. And you'll know that this is a message from God because you're gonna see something that's gonna knock your socks off tonight. And people go, whoa, that's awesome. Let's hear it. And man, they would do it. And they step back and they go, that message had to be from God. I've never seen anything like that in my life. And it validated the message. But we no longer have a need for validation because the Bible is complete. This is your validation. How do you know if the message is from God or not? Is it in the Bible? If it is, it's from God. If it's something that, that happened to me the other day when I, I walked out, I saw the sunset and it was like God came into my life and began speaking things and I pulled out a notebook and just wrote down all these thoughts that I had in this vision from God. Hey, you don't need to hear that. That's not a message from God. God speaks through his word. Does God speak through circumstances? Sometimes he does. But God speaks primarily through his word. You wanna hear from God? Open this book. I heard somebody say one time, they said, if you want to hear from God, read the Bible. If you want to hear from God audibly, read it aloud. I thought, man, there's so much truth in that. So much truth. How do you determine truth from error? Is it in the Bible or not? If it's not in the Bible, it's not true. If you're, and again, I, I, I tire of hearing pastors say, we've got a new word from God tonight. We don't need a new word from God. God's word is complete. To say that we need a new word from God would be to say that God left some stuff out from the Bible. And if we are Bible-believing Christians, we believe that everything that we need is found in the Word of God and it's complete cover to cover. So we need to be discerning Christians. We need to be students of the book. We need to be able to know truth from error. We need to know when we're being tricked, when we're being manipulated, because Satan is in the manipulation business. And again, if you can go to a church for weeks, months, years, and never hear the gospel of Jesus Christ and the death, burial, and resurrection for the sins of mankind, you need to question whether or not this is a Bible-preaching church. I've known people before who know a lot about tithing, know a lot about speaking in tongues, know a lot about signs, miracles, and wonders, but they don't know the first thing about for sure whether or not they're going to heaven when they die. And let me just tell you, when we take the focus off of Jesus and put it onto signs, miracles, and wonders, we've, that's not God that wants to do that. It's satanic in origin. So we need to know false teachers. We need to reject false teachers. And the Bible will be our guide for that. Final thought here tonight. Carnal leaders use their position to abuse. Verse number 20 wasn't part of our text that we read, but it fits in with this passage here. He said, for you suffer or you allow. If a man bring you into bondage, if a man devour you, if a man take of you, a man exalt himself, if a man smites you or hits you on the face, you allow him to do that. You've allowed people to abuse you. You've allowed people to take advantage of you. You've allowed people to rob you and steal from you and take from you. And you just allow that to happen. Carnal leaders will do that. I can't tell you how many times over the last five years, Angela and I have had to counsel folks who have been uh, in churches where they've been spiritually abused. That's a thing, believe it or not. Unfortunately, spiritual abuse is unfortunately a thing where people use their position of authority to uh, abuse people in one way or another. Uh, you know, when you hear situations of, uh, it doesn't always have to be even, even sexual abuse, but oftentimes you hear pastors who will take advantage of children or take advantage of people in their congregation uh, because of their position of power. That's spiritual abuse. 
when you have a pastor who wants to run your life or say that you've got to run everything through him or he's going to make calls for what's best for you and for your family uh, and things like that. I've heard people before say that they couldn't uh, buy a car or uh, rent an apartment without getting the approval of their pastor first. Those types of things are control and spiritual abuse. It's not good. It's not healthy. That's what carnal leaders do. You know what spiritual leaders do? They just want to guide you and love you and encourage you to do the right thing. It's a hard thing as a pastor to see people going down a path of destruction and warn them, hey, the direction you're going is not good. Hey, don't go this way. Hey, it's not gonna work out that well. Hey, I can see six months down the road this is gonna end very badly and they continue on the path that they're on. But as a pastor, you just gotta say, I'm gonna pray for you and hope for the best. I really am. I love you and I'll never stop loving you. I'm still gonna continue to pray for you, but what you're doing is foolish. Because I can't, force people to, to follow Jesus. These people were trying to force people not to follow Jesus, but force people to follow them. And Paul says, I don't want that for you. I'm not forcing you to be of Paul. If you read 1 Corinthians chapter number one, he says, I don't want anybody to say that they're a follower of Paul. I'm not trying to get a crowd here. I'm trying to get you to follow Jesus. And anybody that would take away from that, Paul uh, took that very, very personally. You might look at this and you go, well, I'm not, I'm not really a leader. I'm not a pastor. I'm never going to be a pastor or anything like that. Every single one of us has influence over someone. Every single person in this room has some level of influence. Whether you're a teenager, you have influence over your, your friends that you hang out with, the people that you know. Uh, if you're a single adult, you have people in your workplace or people that you go to school with, uh, people that are in your neighborhood that you have some level of influence over. If you have brothers and sisters, you have a influence over them to some degree. And when we lead, we need to lead by love by humility. We need to point people to Jesus. I'm a, I have an older brother and I've tried to, over the years, try to lead him by love. Sometimes it works, sometimes it doesn't. Being the little brother, it's kind of tough sometimes. But uh, I, I never want to be the overbearing, harsh, ugly, uh, unkind brother. I just want to try to lead by love. I try to lead my wife and my kids by love. There's been some times where I've tried to lead by anger and threatening and, uh, you know, things along those lines never worked out that well, but I try to lead by love. Every single one of us has an opportunity this week to lead somebody in some way or another. If you got kids, you're leading people. Uh, they might be little people, but they're people. Uh, and we have the opportunity to show them the love of Jesus in our home. If you're married, you have a spouse, you have the opportunity to lead and influence this week. Lead them by love. Bottom line, all of our problems every single one of them would be solved if we just lived like Jesus. And so that's what I'll leave you with tonight. Paul's example through this was leading the way that Jesus leads. For you and I this week, the best thing in the world that you can do is live like Jesus lived uh, and we'll be better because of it.